Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'm your host, Aaron Zober. Today's episode is all about collagen. Collagen is one of the fastest growing products in the natural food world. More and more people are turning to collagen, whether it's for strong bones, anti-aging, digestion, or many other reasons. Here to talk with me about collagen is Pamela Schoenfeld, author of the book, The Collagen Diet. She's a registered dietitian nutritionist with a practice in North Carolina called Women and Family Nutrition. And it does just that as it helps women and families meet their nutritional needs. Pamela is also on the board of the Weston A. Price Foundation, handling government relations. Pamela, great to have you here on the program. Yeah, I'm so thrilled to be here, Aaron. I love the work you're doing. So thank you for inviting me to talk to you about what I do. Oh, and I love the work that you do too. So I'm glad to have you here. and Good to be doing this interview right before the holidays. I know probably a lot going on. So I'm glad you can make time to come on here. Yeah, actually, my holidays are going to be restful because I just got back from uh, traveling for almost 20 days, three different trips, and one of them was to the conference where we met, right? Right. But it's just been uh, a lot of fun, but I'm ready to settle down. That's good. Yes, it seems like there are a lot of conferences and events going on in our world around this time of year. Yeah, well, I think especially the Weston Price Conference, which I hope some of your listeners have been to, I think part of it's put this time of year so that um, farmers who attend their crops are to bed and everything like, you know, they're not doing as much over the winter, but that's just my theory. I never asked Sally, so I'm assuming that. (laughs) Well, that would make sense, especially because also it's the time of year that they have the Acres USA conference and they also have the Regenerate conference and the soil Mm -hmm. nutrition. So maybe there is something to that. Uh, Probably so, yeah. All right, so before we get into our discussion all about collagen, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about your nutritional practice? Okay, so I focus on women's nutrition and to the extent that women are the gatekeepers of the family's nutrition. There's a personal story behind it. I actually have three children, and I didn't learn about ancestral diets until my oldest daughter was about 12, and I had studied um, nutrition at the University of Maryland as an undergrad, but I never wanted to be a dietitian because I just didn't envision myself in a, in a hospital setting. And that's all I really knew at the time when I was, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 62 in January, but, um, but back then in 1980, it was like, Oh, it's hospital dietitian. So I went into another area. I went into research, but anyway, when I was about 40 about the ancestral diets um, through the Weston A. Price website, it just totally opened my eyes because I, you know, it's, oh, my health was okay, but I really didn't have very much energy. And at that time, I was almost going to a complete vegetarian diet. I wasn't giving up eggs and dairy, but I was getting more and more plant-based, getting rid of the animal foods in my diet, thinking that was a really good thing. And when I read the Weston Price website information, which was, it's completely expanded since then, but still then it, they had a lot of valuable information. And then I read parts of Weston Price's book, um, and I've since read the whole thing, but it's just been here and there. Um, I haven't read it all in one sitting. But mm-hmm. I was like, wow, yeah, where too. have you been all my life? You know, <laughs> I was like, it just opened my eyes. And I just could not stop reading stuff to, to convince myself that it was true. Because I, I was skeptical. But then I was like, well, this makes perfect sense. I kept looking for reasons not to believe it's not true, but I didn't find any. And I started eating that way. And not that I was unhealthy, but I just didn't have any energy. I work with a lot of women and that are very tired and they're only in their 20s. And they, oh, it must be that I'm this, I'm getting older. When they tell me they're 27 and they're getting older, I'm like, oh my goodness, you're not old. But a lot of them are extremely malnourished and they don't even know it. And so this is why I do what I do, because I want the next generations to be well-nourished. Oh, and I, going back, I had two children, two daughters, and then I had a son. And unfortunately, I think I was somewhat malnourished with my son, although I don't like to make a big deal of that because he's healthy and smart and everything like that. But there's some things I think that could have gone better, put it that way, during the um, raising of my children. And I think it was probably due to some level of malnutrition that I didn't really know about. So, I mean, I just want to share 
my experience and my practice experience, not only my real life experience, but what I see in my practice and what I've trained, you know, I continue to train all the time, learn as much as I can to help women have that, you know, really healthy children and men too, of course, and have great families and have wonderful experiences with child rearing. Because when we have children that have health problems, you know, it's hard enough to raise children when they're completely healthy in this day and age. But when children have health problems, and I'm, you know, certainly love the children just the same, but it's, it's that it's so much more difficult for a family to raise children that have health problems. And certainly we don't want children to have health problems, you know, early on. You know, everybody's going to get health problems when they get, you know, 70s, 80s, maybe. I'm hoping that I can make it into my 90s without real health problems, but we'll see. But, you know, it's like there's too many children starting off life with health problems, and that's what I'd like to help make a difference in reducing that. Yes, and I think we're seeing more children with health problems. And it's a complicated matter, so it's hard to point it to one thing. But as this show is about collagen, very much an animal product, I think that part of it could be is so much of the demonization of saturated fat and products that come from animals. And it's always interesting to me. I do hear a lot of people from Weston Price who were once vegetarian or vegan. I was never a full vegetarian myself, but certainly before Weston Price, I was the one who thought how red meat was a bad thing. You you shouldn't eat too much of it. And with discovering Weston Price, obviously, I went the other way because I'm doing this blog and podcast. And of course, we're doing the show right now on collagen. So I think uh, <laughs> kind of goes without saying, but I'm saying it anyways. So what's your thought on why collagen has become such a major trend? Well, I think the reason is because it gives results. And I think that a lot of people are looking to forestall aging. So whether that means their skin getting more wrinkly, their bones, you know, getting thinner, or their joints having problems, you know, more pain. I think all those three things, people have seen results by taking collagen. And I've seen those results, even though I, I feel like I was in a better place than most people were to begin with. But a lot of my patients who consistently take collagen, because it's not one of these things that you can, oh, let me try it and see what happens. You've got to give it some time and you've got to pretty much stay with it. And I think it's because it works. I mean, you know, and it's not a very expensive supplement. And you also get protein from it. So, you know, to me, it's a win-win-win. Um, the other thing, I, I listen to some um, doctors, a few doctors. There's a specific radio station I listen to that's pretty much just doctors talking and occasionally dietitians too. And I was listening to the dermatologists that they had on the other day that were, uh, I guess they were doing an anti-aging show. And, both of them are like, yes, it's the number one supplement I see. All my patients are, should be taking it. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, you know, this is great. Because these are top dermatologists in New York City talking about this. So I believe it's just because it works. But I do think people have to give it some time. And you certainly can't expect that it's going to, you know, you're, you're going to look like you had a facelift or anything like that. But it will make a difference. And I've seen it myself. Um, and, you know, it's hard because I don't, have a lot of really good before and after pictures, but people are always tell me, oh, you look so young and everything. I'm like, well, it's not just the collagen. I believe it's the, the entire diet, but I think the collagen has enhanced it. Yes, and I feel like the anti-aging is a very big reason that it's become such a major trend. That's probably, I think, the biggest reason for its whole popularity is this marketing as anti-aging skin product. So my one thought with that is, does that in any way take away from the other benefits that collagen has for improving our health so that everyone knows it as this beauty product. You know, it's funny. I don't think people really understand that it can be really helpful for the bones, for example. And I think it's okay that they don't understand that, although I'd love them to read my book because I think if they read my book, they'll be like me, which, I'm, listen, I don't sell collagen. So it's not, I don't, I'm, obviously the book is something that's sold, you know, and I get some royalties from it, but um I don't sell collagen, so I don't have that, that kind of, so, you know, I'll use a uh, pun, skin in the game, if you will. But, <laughs> I love um, it. <laughs> I think if people really understood the number of things that collagen protein, collagen in the diet, and the amino acids that are in the collagen protein play a part in the body, I think they'd be like me and not want to skip a day, if possible, without a good source of collagen. 
And I don't think people necessarily need to do it through the powdered collagen powders that are out there. And certainly this is a, a lot of companies are making a lot of money off these products. Um, there's other ways to do it, which I go into in my book. And in fact, there's maybe some things that are better. Collagen peptides are good for some things, but other things like gelatin are good for other things. Yes, that's a very good point that you bring up, that there are a lot of different ways to get collagen. It doesn't have to be from the powder. And that is a question that I had was, are there ways to get collagen without taking the powders? And what are those ways that people can do that? Okay, so my first introduction to the idea of collagen, of course, came from the Weston A. Price Foundation's dietary principles. And the number one dietary principle is to eat from every part of the animal. And of course, that's been popularized into the nose to tail eating, right? And that's great because that's easy to understand. Now, I don't know how many people are eating the brain. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though <laughs> there are a lot of nutrition in the brain, I personally don't eat brain foods myself. And I find they're not very available because I probably may eat them more if they were more readily available, sold by like the farmers at the farmer's markets or if you saw them in restaurants. But I feel of all the organ meats, you don't really see brain that often. Yeah, and I think that has something to do with the USDA oh, the US rules on handling <laughs> that type of tissue. I mean, it's got to be really well inspected. I mean, there's I haven't heard of a case of mad cow disease in this country, and I mean, I don't even know, I can't even remember. But of course, with the mad cow scare, we know that the central nervous tissue is the stuff we have to avoid. So, you know, anyway, but you can buy these supplements, you know, good companies sell the supplements. Um, But I don't think it's that popular and people don't know how to cook it. And, you know, obviously you can get something like um, sweetbreads at a really good restaurant, which are the thymus gland, which is in the brain. So most of us are not able to get the meat on the bone with the joint material and then take the time to often to simmer it so it's tender enough to eat, right? Because it's difficult to eat um, meat that has the collagenous material on it around the bones without cooking it slowly. Oh, yeah. To be honest, I often (laughs) do go for meat without the bone just because it's so hard to cook and then to cut around. And I feel like with what I'm paying for, I'm like not getting as much meat. I'm paying this big price. And a lot of it was just really paying for the bone. Yeah. And if you've looked at the price of just marrow bones, I think they're like $6 a pound now. I mean, they used to be nothing. When I first was a member of the foundation and, you know, it's like, oh, I want to do all the Western A. Price Foundation dietary things. I would seek out farmers and it was easy to get bones. There was nothing. It's like a dollar a pound or something, you know, and so that was easy. But now they've gone up a lot and they're hard to come by. And um, now with that said, you can use chicken, chicken parts, um, and you, you make soups. I do this all the time. The way we eat, though, isn't really conducive to necessarily getting it from the food. But if you wanted to, you certainly can make the bone broth. And now there's a few companies that sell very high quality bone broth. Well, there's, there's more a lot. Now. Some taste pretty good. Yeah, some taste yeah there's not an explosion so in it. Yeah, some don't taste so good. But the one that I really like is called Butcher's Bone Broth, and it's sold in the refrigerated section of just one grocery store around here. And it's more expensive, but it's really good. And then the chef stable ones are okay. I'm not crazy about those. But anyway, if we're trying to get enough collagen in the diet, I would suggest that we probably want to shoot for around 20 grams of collagen. Now, that's kind of hard to quantify if you're not getting it out of a labeled container, right? I mean, how are you going to know? Most of the good bone broths are having about 9 to 10 grams in a cup. So that's pretty much all collagen. So you can consider that half of your daily um, intake. And then if you wanted to, I suppose you could eat some chicken skin, some fish skin. And also if you wanted to, and I love to do this, I don't know why I don't do it more often because every time I do it, I just eat them like crazy. I to make like an herb tea gelatin blocks or gummies. And those are great. Um, adding a little, um, sometimes a really concentrated fruit juice in them. So those are ways. I mean, beef, had gelatins in the diet forever. I mean, that used to be a very common thing in the like 1950s and 1960s to serve aspic molds at parties. Um, I don't know if Jello gelatin or Knox gelatin was behind that push, but you know, you take a savory thing like a tomato base and you gel it up and you'd serve it with, you know, maybe you'd have some shrimp in it. I have a recipe in my book for that. So there's lots of ways to get gelatin without eating sweet Jello um, because obviously. 
even though Jell-O gelatin definitely has collagen in it, it's got a lot of sugar. There's other ways, too. We could also do um, things like oxtail soup, something called head cheese. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Oh, I have. Yes, I've had head cheese before. Have you? I actually don't know if I've ever eaten it. I, I'm not sure. It's, again, it goes back to the eating the brain part. I'm not sure there's brain in it, but there's something that, about that that is, makes me a little uneasy, although I should probably try it because I eat liver and kidney. I haven't done the, the head stuff yet. But the skin, like I mentioned before, the poultry skin or the salmon skin, salmon skin is a great way to get collagen. And then even things like pork rinds. Oh. A lot of people like the baked pork rinds, and now they're all collagen. Yeah, and there's some pork rinds on the market now. Epic has them, and 4505, and I actually quite like them. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, for two reasons I had never had pork rinds. One, I mean, I was raised Jewish. We didn't particularly keep kosher, but pork rinds were something that was uh, still uh, a little bit out there. Sure, I had pepperoni or bacon, but uh, never had pork rinds. And mm-hmm. also just always thought they were kind of gross. But then when I was at the Natural Products Expo West a few years ago and saw this company having pork rinds from sustainably sourced pigs, I thought, oh, I should give this a try. And actually, I, I love the taste of it. So it's great. Yeah, they are really good. Yeah. And I've even seen a thing of like, there's this company called Bacon Airs, which makes ground up pork rinds that you can use in place of panko from breadcrumbs so i guess there's another way to get your collagen is use uh pork rinds ground up pork rinds in place of breadcrumbs yeah a lot and a lot of the keto diets are using the um those for breadcrumbs and also um putting them on their soup um crunchy things on salads i mean dr atkins i think has in his book to eat pork rinds instead of potato chips that's a really great way to get it the other thing that i forgot to mention is that if you happen to be able to go to a uh, pho, um, I don't know if it's pho soup is that. Is that Vietnamese? That is, I can't yes. remember. Is it Thai? Vietnamese. I went to one restaurant that serves pho recently, and I didn't see it on the menu, so I specifically asked them if they had tendon. And they said, no, we don't serve tendon. But the best restaurant around here always has tendon available on it. So it really is a very a traditional food in Asian cultures, among other cultures. So if you like to get pho, you should see if you can find a restaurant nearby you that has the tendon. And that's a great way to get collagen. And then the other thing is, of course, if you do buy soups at restaurants or eateries, like I went to an eatery that sells bowls, I think it's called core, something like that. It has bowls and you can put different things in it. And their broth, they claim that it's bone broth, but I was tasting it. There was something about it. I just felt like it wasn't bone broth. So be careful when a restaurant calls something bone broth because you know, it really has to have collagen in it actually to be bone broth because the collagen not only comes from the joints around the bone, but if you cook the bone, some of the collagen from the bone will be released as well. That's a good point. Yeah, be careful with what you say about what is bone broth because a lot of it, it could be like that stuff you just find on the shelf that's not really bone broth. Um, I know that's part of the Weston Price program, the 12 spoons. That's one of the criteria of 12 spoons is a, restaurant guide that the Weston Price Foundation is working on for listeners that may not know. And one of the spoons that can be given is if they use it from real bone broth. So people, if they want to learn more about what restaurants have that, I think that's a good place to look. Yeah, that's a real, that's a really high bar to meet, I think, for a lot of restaurants, because if you look at the cost of bone broth, if you were to buy it, we know it's pretty expensive now the way they're packaging it. But you know, it's easy to use things to extend your bone broth. Suppose you put, put a few bones in, they can call it bone broth, right? Or, or is it truly bone broth? You know, I think in most Asian restaurants it might be, but I would suggest trying to get that tendon in and then you can be re- really assured or, um, you know, have something on the side such as, um, you know, sushi with salmon skin or something like that. That's a great way to get it too. Right. And also I think you should look into making your own bone broth because as I was saying earlier, I don't typically buy like a strip steak with a bone in because I feel like a lot of times that's hard to cook, but I have bought like bone marrow itself and other bones, knuckle bones and and neck bones uh, in order to make bone broth. So there's something you can do if you don't want to try like cooking it actually on the meat itself is just getting the bones themselves to make the broth. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that about the neck bones. I'm cooking it right now. I can't even believe I forgot to say it, but I bought some smoked turkey neck bones and a smoked turkey drumstick. Oh, wow. And I started by simmering the 
yeah, to make pea soup and black bean soup. Now, I know a lot of listeners will say that's not paleo, and I agree legumes are not paleo, but I'm not an anti-legume person. I think when you soak them and rinse them and cook them properly and, and have other nourishing foods, like I put some sausage in them, and of course I've got the bone broth I've made, and then I'll take the turkey leg and take pieces off of that. I really like those type of things. And when it gets cool in the winter now, I'm in North Carolina, we have a short winter, but it's nice to have those hot foods. But like you said, neck bones are great. Chicken wings, poultry wings, anything that has a high skin and bone to meat ratio is a great way to make a, a soup stock. Um, if you can get the feet of a chicken. Yes, very important for the stock. That's wonderful, kind of hard to find. If you, Those Asian markets have those. The only thing is when you go to an Asian market, I'm pretty pretty sure that their chicken is not you know, organic or non-GMO. At that least. is. Uh, pasture raised is really hard to find, right? But you, if you can get that, that's the best. And the best, the best, best, best chicken soup is made from what they call spent layers. Have you ever heard that? I have. I don't know a lot about it, but I've heard the term. Yeah, if you know a farmer who has egg-laying chickens, and if, you know they have to call the flocks every you know every year because they don't produce as much. The thing is, this is the problem. Chicken is a very labor-intensive process to clean and dress. And I don't know what they do with their spent layers, but I used to go to a farmer and get their spent layers. And these are chickens are like three years old, and they've been outside, and they're very lean. You know, there's not a lot of muscle on them because they're they're bred for laying eggs versus the meat, but they make the most delicious chicken soup. It was like, oh my goodness, it was so good. So if you can do that, I would suggest that. But in the meantime, I use wings, especially the wing tips. I use backs, I use necks. The beef bones are harder to find for me, but if I can get an oxtail, I'll throw in some also some marrow bones and, and knuckle bones are great too. I may be lucky living in California because I feel like a lot of the ranchers that we see at the farmers markets, they sell all the good beef bones, the bone marrow, the neck bones, the knuckle bones. And also it seems that our whole foods here, I'm able to get the chicken feed as well as at a lot of the farmers from the farmers markets. So I suppose that's just a thing, maybe a luxury of living in California where we have a lot of these farmers and we have farmers markets year round. And can I just add the people that in California are somewhat more educated about the values of these foods and the importance of these foods in the diet. I mean, we do have farmers markets. Unfortunately, the one that I like to go to is Saturday morning. I often work Saturday morning, but I mean, I bought bones from them. They're really expensive. It's just not a lot to come by. I got to check it out again. Um, but we definitely don't have chicken feet in the Whole Foods. That's kind of funny you say that. We just we don't have that. We talked earlier about the benefits that collagen has on your skin. And obviously, that is an important thing. And that's what, as I was saying, I think a lot of people have turned to it. What do you see as some of the other benefits, particularly what you think are the best benefits of consuming collagen? Okay, I think the number one best benefit is ensuring that you're getting enough glycine in your diet, especially if you are an omnivore. Because most of us who are omnivores now believe, as you and I both discussed, that it's okay to eat red meat, right? It's not bad for you necessarily. I mean, if you, ha- if you have an iron overload, it might not be so great for you. But, you know, there's a couple of things. But in general, okay, it's okay. But are we just eating the lean or well, not even lean, let's say the fatty steak? I mean, a lot of the, you know, if you get a filet mignon, it's fairly lean. And some of the grass-fed beef is more lean anyway. But are we just eating the muscle meat? Because there's a lot of research being done, and most of it's in animals. Well, pretty much all of it's in animals. But that a carnivorous diet or an omnivorous diet is high in the thionine, which seems to shorten lifespan, which does shorten lifespan in animals. However, when these animals... Are, their diets are um, enriched with glycine, they don't see that lifespan shortening effect of the higher methionine. So there's something about the glycine that helps with that um, longevity in animal studies. And I believe it also helps in humans. Of course, that would be an observational trial that would be, I don't know when it's going to be done because that, you know we know that these dietary trials are very difficult to do and they're expensive and they're, you know, they're, this is 
probably very low of low importance. But anyway, that's the number one thing, getting enough glycine in the diet because by not eating the collagen-containing parts of the animals, we are putting that ratio too high in methionine and not adequate in glycine. And that was one of the parts of the collagen diet which really hit home to me. This is in specifically Chapter 9 about glycine. A couple months ago, someone told me that red meat is bad because it has too many amino acids. Now, I had never heard this before, and I thought maybe this person is confusing some facts, but with reading that section, I think I understand it now more because you explained that red meat contains the amino acid methionine, and it can be harmful in excess, especially if the diet is low in glycine. So I see that collagen can fix that. So obviously, if you have the collagen powder that can fix that and which you say the other things to fix that are eating like the skins of animals and would other organ meats fix that such as like eating liver and kidney not sure either of those have a lot of glycine because i mean they the membranes around them would have collagen but not the tissues themselves wouldn't be because collagen is you know tissue you can pretty much identify it by its structure and its rigidity, you know, it's fle- it's flexible, but it's got that rigidity in it. And now, of course, you've got things running the grizzle that runs through the meat. That's all collagen and stuff like that. If you eat it, you know, that that type is a little hard to eat unless it's softened. And so that I think, if we think about glycine as being an essential nutrient, and it's funny, it's it's not an essential amino acid. It's considered a non-essential amino acid. Um, however, in some cases, it's conditionally sen- essential, I think. During pregnancy is a time that it's, I believe it's, it's essential, where we can call it conditionally essential to the extent that we have to get more from our diet. Because when a woman's um, uterus is expanding and all the ligaments and the skin around, you know, the, the um, placenta, et cetera, that all takes collagen, takes extra collagen. Plus the bone growth in the baby takes collagen. Our, our bones are 95% collagen protein. So, yes. Um, that again, that's the number one thing. And if you look at the studies that determine if people are getting enough glycine in the diet, it seems that we have a most of us have a shortfall of at least 10 grams, if not more, per day. So really getting enough glycine. And collagen is one third of its amino acids is glycine. Is it one third? I don't remember these numbers. Sometimes it's 25% by weight. Yeah, there's a lot of numbers in this book which uh, the book I wrote about a year and a half ago, so and I have looked it over again, but it's funny. When I was asked to write the book because I was contracted to write it, I was debating on whether I should even consider it. And then I started looking at some of the studies. I'm like, well, wow, this is really interesting. And I, I, I was thinking, well, what is there? Is there enough to write a book? And it's not a book that just says, oh, you know, fluff. It's not a lot of fluff. No, not at all. I think there's a lot of evidence. I would say, yes, it's very scientific-based, talking about different tests that have been run and studies that have been done. Yeah, and also the history of collagen use in the human diet and the way um, even the early nutrition pioneers like um, Dr. Pottinger talk about how you, uh, the gut cases of you know gut problems, which I think he called them dyspepsia. Uh, at the time, they had different terms than we use now they recommended using collagen-based broth. So um, there's not only a, you know, anthropological data on it, there's actually really good scientific data. Now, I've had a couple scientists read my book. One is a, it was not in, interested in nutrition at all. And, um, but he, he's a manufacturer of, of a pain device that helps people with pain, which is great, you know, especially nowadays. He said, you know, I read the book. The studies aren't really that robust. There's not that many of them. But I do think you're right. I think there's definitely a need for glycine, more glycine in the human diet. Now, this is interesting because a lot of people are skeptical. They say, oh, the studies aren't enough. But I'm like, well, gee whiz, how much does it cost to try three to six months of collagen and see if it makes a difference in your life? And I mean, just the fact that historically human diets have always contained collagen until we had the luxury of basically getting rid of all the parts except for the muscle meat that we thought was the most valuable part of the animal. And so as you talk about bone broth, I was wondering, is having bone broth, say, twice a day or even like once a day, is that a way to effectively get all of your collagen needs to supplement this red meat that you're eating? 
I would say yes. I think two cups of bone broth, in general, the good bone broth has about nine or ten grams of collagen. You may be better off with three cups. I mean, I, I, I think I'm trying to get like 30 grams of collagen a day, so maybe it's good 10 to 15 from my collagen um, when I add to a juice or I'll add a tablespoon to my coffee or tea, and then I'll have at least something with bone broth in it, whatever that is, whether I cook rice in it, whether I make a soup with it, whether I just drink it as a drink before my dinner, which is interesting. There's also some studies showing that having collagen protein, um, especially with the glycine, will help reduce the appetite. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I always notice when I eat a really good soup, I feel like I need a lot less calories to feel full. Oh, I have noticed that too, absolutely. Yeah, so there's something to it. Um, you know, I you certainly want to have all the other nutrients in the meal. Quite often, I'll just make a soup, and like now I'm into making these bean and lagoon soups, or, and we'll have a, a salad, and maybe I'll have um, some cheese and some good whole grain and preferably sourdough bread, and that will be our dinner, and it's so easy. I just make the soups in advance, and I'll... Um, you know, freeze half of them so I'll have them for the next week. So it's kind of a long-lost way of cooking, I think, because it does take a little more time. But if you happen to have a day home every other week and you're doing other stuff, you can always make a few soup or make your broth at least, and then you can have that when you want to make soup and throw anything you want in it. And I think we're seeing a lot more restaurants now doing these bowl meals um, where they actually are based on broth. Again, like I said, we don't really know if it's really bone broth. And I don't know. I mean, you could ask them, I suppose, but it's really hard to know. The best way to know if your own bone broth has a lot of collagen is to sit, put it in the refrigerator after cooking it for about eight, at most 12 hours. If you cook it longer, it might start to break down and see if it gels. Then you know it's got good collagen in it. So you're talking a little about foods that you put your collagen into. And I know that half of the Collagen Diet book is actually devoted to recipes for food using collagen as one of the ingredients how many dishes would you say you typically make in a day which include collagen in them? For me, you know, I wrote those recipes and I have used them all, but I generally keep it really simple. So I'll have one beverage in the morning where I'll put, you know, about five to 10 grams of collagen in the drink. And then I will eat something at lunch usually that has some collagen in it. So if I have salmon with the skin on it or chicken with the skin on it, um, I don't as often eat soups for lunch because I don't have a way to heat them up at the office. Um, we only have a microwave. I don't have a little... Yeah, same here. I mean, I could bring my thermos. I've got to get a little more organized here and bring my thermos. I've done that in the past. <laughs> it's great to get a glass line. Yeah, no, the glass line thermoses are great. Um, I never put any hot beverages in plastic or just... I'm sure your listeners don't either. But dinner, I, I really focus on having a soup with dinner. So um, doing a bone broth soup with dinner. And then again, if we have collagen in some other form, I, I mean, I never eat boneless, skinless chicken. No, never. I mean, either. once in a while. But, you know, we often eat um, wings, chicken wings, and they're really loaded with collagen. Um, or, and, and if you're going to buy salmon, I, I do something that most fishmongers would look at me and go, really? I always ask for the piece of salmon towards the narrow, the tail end of the fish because there's a lot more skin to salmon ratio. So that's another thing. It's a little trick if you really want to get more collagen in. Um, so actually, I try to have it in every meal. Lunch is probably the time that's difficult for me. Well, breakfast is easy because I put a little in my tea or coffee. I find most of my clients that do collagen put it in their coffee. I do that too. Yeah. I think a tablespoon or so, you can't really tell per cup. If you start putting in more, you might be able to start noticing a flavor change. You know, I think in a perfect world, if, if if I had my choice, I'd like to have like pho in the morning with tendon and everything. I would just love that. Oh, but, wow. Well, the reality is I wouldn't be able to keep up with that type of cooking daily myself. So, But one of the recipes in my book um, actually was not a recipe that I made up. It was a recipe I got um, from doing some research. If you make a meatloaf, and I love to make meatloaf. In fact, that's a great way to get liver into your family's diet if they won't. That is, right. Yeah. Yeah, the organ meatloaf, which they've often had at the Wise Traditions conferences. Yeah, it's great. I put pre-dissolved gelatin in it. I make it into a really, really stiff gel that I've refrigerated, and I chop it up into tiny pieces. Oh, it makes your meatloaf and meatballs so moist. And that was actually a recipe, a traditional Italian recipe that I found. It wasn't... Um, and I kind of adapted it for my book, but 
that actually would be great. Just make a whole bunch of meatballs with the collagen in, and don't throw the juice away because some will see some will the gelatin seeps out. I know one of the questions I have a lot is how do you get kids to eat the collagen? A lot of there's a lot of recipes on the on the internet now for gummies, you know, gelatin gummies. So that to me is a, a great way to do it, and I really think it's important for kids as their joints and bones are growing, because actually the joint matter that we lay down, the cartilage and stuff that we lay down in our youth and the elastin connective tissue is really very slow to turn over. So it, I think it has a half-life of like 75 years, the elastin in our bodies. So you really, really, really want good formation of those um, connective tissues in your child's body. And I go into that a little bit in the book. And there also has been one study where they showed that the children that were eating gelatin um, had better, I forgot the marker of the bones, but better bones than the group of children that didn't. You know, after I wrote this book, I was like, okay, that actually is a useful book because I really didn't think it was going to be as useful as it was. I, think it, I thought it was going to be more like, oh, this is just for people who want to be young, you know, want to look better, right? And it's, it's so totally not. It's so much more important than that. I think it's important for people to know that there's a lot of benefits to collagen other than just the skin and the beauty. And I like that you bring up about kids eating collagen and getting it through gummy candy because so, I think that that's a great way to have them get it into their diet because after all they get to have candy, use a little grass-fed gelatin and then just put a little honey in instead mm -hmm. of the sugar or as a lot of the gummy candies on the market will have high fructose corn syrup. This is a much better way for them to have some sweets that they'll enjoy. Oh, and one thing, as I have to say this, make sure your child's older than one, you're going to put honey in it. Oh, yes. Disclaimer there, yeah. Good point. And going with about serving collagen to kids, I know you talk about in your book about how collagen is actually important for all ages of people. Um, can you explain this a little more? I wish I really understood the importance of collagen when I was a bit younger. Well, so do I. I have a tiny bit of arthritis in my knee. And I think it's only become apparent to me, and I'm only guessing that's what it is because I didn't go to a doctor or anything, since I've been playing a lot of tennis. And I just think, even though that older people, and I, like I said, I'm going to be 62 in January, but I think everybody, and if you're getting older and you feel arthritis coming on, you've got to get on those preventive nutritional things, including collagen. They do make a difference. We have to nourish our joints. And the other thing is if you're going to take collagen, to help your joints, because and it does help the bones too, because their um, bones are 95% collagen, and it's really the best thing that there's been a study showing that women that take collagen, I forgot the number of months, it's either three or six months, they actually had an increase increase in their bone mineral density test, and that was a specific form of collagen that was tested. I'm not sure it's limited to that one product, but I do discuss that in my book, which form, and I highly recommend that for any of my patients that are having osteopenia and osteoporosis, which I don't know if you knew this, Aaron, but those things are epidemic. I mean, I, I don't have either, but most of the women that I see that are older than 65 or even older than 60 have osteopenia. We are hearing a lot of that because you see a lot of those commercials on TV talking about osteoporosis. So it does seem like that is a pretty major issue. And unfortunately, most women won't find mm. out until they're 65 that they have this problem. Because if you learned when you were 45, let's say if a woman got her bones tested when she was 40 or 45, and she saw that they were below the norm for her age, I think it would motivate women to find nutritional, I don't want to say they're solutions, but options, let's say options, because we don't really know exactly. There's so many different things that do go into bone health. Of course, there's calcium, magnesium, vitamin K2, and of course, collagen, because collagen is the predominant protein in bones. But I think women would be much more proactive. Unfortunately, the insurance companies don't pay for the testing until a woman gets to the age of 65 unless she has some considerable risk factors such as frequent broken bones. And I think the reason for that is, is that the conventional medical community believes that there's nothing but drugs that they can prescribe that can help this condition. And I don't believe that at all. I've seen oh, not at all. Yeah, but you see, if you only think that it's drugs and you only know, you know that these drugs That's can a only... Problem. Yeah, and they only can be given for a short period of time because they act too long, they actually, because they prevent breakdown of bone, which makes bone less resilient. It makes it denser, but less resilient, so they can only give it to people for so long. I think there'd be more interest in testing earlier. 
But since there's no medical intervention, they just don't do it. And certainly a woman could ask for it and she could pay for it herself. I've actually gotten a few of them in my life. I had a progressive doctor many years ago when I was uh, not even 40. And he says, I think we should get your bones tested because you're a, a thin white woman, blah, blah, blah. And everything was fine at that time. And they're still fine. But unfortunately, we just wait too long sometimes to get the kind of information that I think would cause people to take action and really look at things that they could do besides the medications that they may think are inevitable. So would you say that the biggest advantage of children taking collagen is that it helps them prevent problems from later in life? Yes. I think that if we want to optimally nourish our children so that there's the lowest chance that they're going to have degenerative problems like arthritis, like loss of bone, we want to include collagen. And of course, Bone broths are probably even better if a parent can make them or purchase them and then if the child will eat them. That's the other thing. A lot of kids have gotten away from eating things like soups and stews. They just want, you know, the chicken nuggets or the macaroni and cheese, you know, this is like, or whatever. I mean, I see kids all the time that are like this, that they don't want to eat. But if you start children off early on some of these foods, they can learn to like them. And you will be giving them a really good gift by looking at the foods that potentially could help them live better into their, you know, later years. And I, honestly, I think we're going to see so much more um, arthritis and bone loss in the upcoming generation, as we're even seeing now, but even more so. And yes, we need to think about calcium, although this has become another one of those nutrients that's kind of gotten forgotten about because so many people believe that dairy is um, not a healthy food to eat, and they believe that they can get all the calcium they need. And I'm, I'm, now I'm kind of going on another topic. But oh, no problem. I think that's an important thing to bring up too. Yeah, calcium is really important. And, and I see a lot of women that, and I have them use the, um, the program Chronometer. I don't know if you've used it, but it's a nice program to tally vitamins and minerals in your food as well as the macros. And most of the women who don't consume dairy are under 500 milligrams a day of calcium. And they're like, oh, well... You know, I thought I could get all I needed from, you know, plants and vegetables. I said, well, you can, but you know what you'd have to eat? And you have to eat it at least three times a day. And a lot of times it's difficult to absorb plant-based calcium. So an omnivorous diet is so important. And that's obviously why your show is entitled the way it is. It's just there's so many nutrients that are hard to get, and they're going to maybe you're not going to see the effects of them of not getting adequate amounts in the present time. But I can bet that in 10, 15, 20, or even 30 years, there's going to be a wake up that you're going to go, oh, I wish I knew that. I mean, I did that when I was raising my children. I wish I knew the ancestral diet before I did. And I've just been really blessed to know it for my own health because I don't know where I would be if I hadn't learned what I'd learned. I definitely couldn't have gone back to school, got my master's and gone through my dietetic internship if I felt the way I had before I changed my diet. And something that I wonder as we talk about the whole thing about dairy being demonized and also there's still a lot of saturated fat, cholesterol being demonized. What I wonder is, because collagen is a very popular product as we talk about a lot for the beauty reasons, and I think a lot of people that use collagen, they might not know anything about the whole cholesterol myth or about Weston A. Price or paleo but they're using this product that comes from cattle. With the popularity of collagen across people doing it for different reasons and across probably a lot of groups outside of what this program is geared towards, do you think this will help in any way with the acceptance that saturated fat and cholesterol are not bad for you and they actually have nutritional benefits that you need in your diet? So that's a really cool question because actually that was one of the reasons I actually thought this book would be worthwhile in writing. Oh, absolutely. I can see I don't know that. if you've noticed in my book, I sprinkled the ideas of the Weston A. Right. Price oh, Foundation yes. and Ancestral Diet. Yeah, that was kind of my little ulterior motive. Yeah, that's a good thing to include in it. <laughs> Introduce people to ideas. Oh, yeah, collagen. I mean, most people think, oh, what do I need to know about collagen, right? I, it's very simple, right? But my goal was to let people know, yeah, collagen is really important. But what about all the other parts of the animal and aspects of a nourishing traditional diet could be important as well? And, you know, here's what you might want to think about, you know. And so, yeah, I hope it will open people's eyes up and kind of move them away from this this plant-based diet notion. Um, now, when we say plant-based diet, 
we can mean so many different things. I mean, I eat a lot of plants. Me too. But I would not describe my diet as a plant-based diet. I would describe it as an omnivorous diet. I would call it a balanced diet. And if we look at what traditional people ate, yeah, they ate plants. But they didn't say plants were better for you than the animal foods. In fact, they said the reverse most of the time, right? They felt the animal foods were instrumental in their health. And plants, well, they're helpful. But they didn't believe that they had the healing properties, I think, that the animal plants do based on nutrition. Now, we know that there's phytonutrients. We know that there's certain um, things about plants that they act uh, to detoxify, et cetera, as long as you don't over overdo them. So yes, I'm hoping that it will open people up to thinking about the necessity of eating the full range of animal foods and that in the right amounts, they're really appropriate and necessary for a healthy diet and especially for children. To me, a plant-based diet means that the ruminants were being fed healthy plants, lots of healthy grass. That's what it means to me. Yeah, that's certainly, everything comes from the plant, you know, everything we eat, and ultimately it all comes from the sun, right? But I heard a couple dietitians on the radio the other day, they were talking, they said they had a father call, wondering now how he could design a plant-based diet for his three-year-old. And they started going on like, oh, well, that would be fine. I'm like, I'm cringing. Oh, I'm going, oh, no, this poor child. And I mean, I literally just put my hands over my eyes right now because I think of all the children that the parents want to raise them vegan. And the children don't have any choice in the matter. They're going to have some deficits that, I mean, who knows? And of course, we've got the children that are being raised by parents that feed them fast food. So I'm not saying it's only the people that do vegan diets. And speaking of the plant-based diets, I've actually seen now on the market something geared towards people that eat all plant-based, that don't consume any animal products. It's a plant-based collagen called Sun Warrior, and it consists of sprouted and fermented brown rice, fermented pea protein, leafy greens, buckthorn, mushrooms, silica, spirulina, vitamin C, biotin, hyaluronic acid, and trace minerals. And my question is, can this really be called collagen if it's not from an animal? Does it have anywhere near the same health benefits as real collagen? You presented this to me. I didn't even know this existed, although I've seen some supplements that are called collagen building supplements. Uh, They weren't specifically called This is called plant-based collagen building protein peptides. And I'm looking at the label right now and on um, my laptop. And the building part, says collagen building protein peptides, the building part is actually in pretty much the same color as the label, so you can barely see it. So will this build collagen in your body? It certainly is not collagen, as you say, because collagen can only come from an animal. And so if someone's a vegan, they cannot consume collagen. If someone's a vegetarian, they can consume collagen because they can consume eggshell membrane. So I don't know if you want to make that yourself. I suppose you could by grinding up eggshells and then you'd get calcium too. But that is the only vegetarian source of collagen that I'm aware of right now. There's certainly fish sources. So if you're a pescatarian, that's fine. But um, these peptides, they may supply the higher amounts of the amino acids that collagen is rich in, including proline and glycine. But I can pretty much guarantee that they do not have the bioactivity of the collagen peptides because those are recognized by the body as like tiny pieces of collagen. And for whatever reason, the body takes those up because they basically are tiny pieces of collagen. And... There's a couple of thoughts, schools of thought on this. One, that they use them actually in the building, which is not certain on that. But another thought is that these little collagen peptides stimulate your body to believe that its own collagen is breaking down, which you say, why would that be good? Because then it upregulates all the systems to rebuild your own collagen. So not only are you supplying the optimal amount of the necessary amino acids, but you're sending a basically a hormonal signal that your own collagen needs to be repaired. So the body puts a little more effort and energy into making a little more bone, making a little more skin, making more nails, more hair. And truthfully, I mean, I've heard this from a lot of my clients. I can't tell you how fast my hair grows and my nails grow now. I mean, sometimes, you know, I do, I do tint my hair now. So it's like, oh, no, I got to do it again. <laughs> And I stopped doing anything with my nails, so that's not a problem. But if you like to paint your nails or polish your nails, that could be a problem because you're like, oh, they're growing so fast. But that's what happens when we're young. Your hair grows faster, your skin grows, you know, turns over quicker, your nails grow faster. And that's all things that you want to have happen because your collagen-containing 
parts of your body are meant to withstand things from the environment. Your skin is meant to turn over the air and the wind and the, it needs to turn over because it needs to repair itself. So I personally wouldn't waste my money on this stuff. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Um, I don't think the ingredients in it are terrible. I just don't. It says here it's pea protein, brown rice peptides. There's your peptides. Um, that's the only peptides that are in there, I think. I don't see any other peptides. So uh, there's no studies on it, whereas there are several studies on collagen peptides. And albeit a lot of them have been done by the manufacturers, it's, it's kind of what you would expect, wouldn't you? I mean, you don't expect scientists with, that don't have a, anything um, vested in to test something because they need funding. Yeah, and the thing is, nobody's really thought of collagen as being anything. Like if you ask, oh, I suppose if you went for an NIH grant, they'd be like, is somebody having nicer skin a priority for medical science? Um, but it's way beyond that. I believe it's way beyond that. I wrote this book, and I, I'm not really great at promoting it. And thank you for having me on your radio show. But... I'm really glad I wrote it because now I under fully understand why I need collagen. And I do think people have told me I haven't seen them in a year. We went to a holiday party. Go, what are you doing? Your skin looks so much better. You look even younger. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> now it's like, and you know, it's good because when you're in the nutrition world, you got to look like you practice what you preach. In my opinion, I don't think it means you have to be skinny, but you can't look. I mean, you can, I suppose, but it really helps to look vibrant and vital. You know, and then people are like, hey, what do you do? And I want to do that too, you know? Nice. And so obviously you're not so much recommending this plant-based collagen that they have in markets, but there are a lot of great collagens now, as, as I've explained, that's become a very popular trend. So what are certain things that people should look at in terms of buying the right collagen powder if they go that direction for their source of collagen? Okay, well, my number one thing is to tell people, first of all, if you got an allergy to something, make sure you're not getting fish collagen. For example, if you're allergic to fish, that's a pretty easy one. But I recently had a client that was referred to me by a doctor who does Lyme disease. And this client had been diagnosed with something called alpha-gal. Have you heard of it? No. Alpha-gal is a sugar that's in beef that develops after a person has gotten bitten by a Lone Star tick. There's actually a couple specialists here in North Carolina that are actually studying this. I had a client come in and she was telling me how she was vomiting regularly wow. and it seemed to have gotten worse recently. And I was looking at the collagen, the same doctor, she's a tick specialist or a Lyme disease specialist, which had recommended for this patient, which I think collagen was a good idea for what her needs were, but it was beef collagen, bovine collagen. I'm like, you can't eat this. This has got could have traces of the problem, you know, the thing that's causing you the problem. And when she discontinued it, she stopped vomiting. So I know, isn't that crazy? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I, I look like a genius, right? You know, but sometimes it's the simple things that I notice that some functional or trained doctors even miss. If you, unless you spend a lot of time with people and read labels and, and what they're taking and uh, you, it's crazy. People are taking so many different supplements and, and I, I'm, listen, I think supplements are great. I just think people don't really understand them and it's not for somebody who has only minimal uh, knowledge of what's in a supplement. Anyway, so that's the first thing. But then after that, you really want to get a non-GMO product. Uh, amazing scientist, Stephanie Steneff, she speaks at the Weston Price conferences pretty much every year. Right. She's amazing. Yeah, she's amazing. She's so smart. And she's, her whole thing now is anti-glyphosate. Um, which I think she was way ahead of her time on this. Oh, big time. Yeah, bears being sued for the glyphosate and Monsanto products, right? All over the place now. But one of the things that's possible that she says is that since the glyphosate molecule looks so much like glycine, that it could be inserting itself into the space in the collagen protein where the glycine goes, and you could inadvertently be taking in glyphosate. Now, I don't haven't seen any studies on this, but I think it's a really valid theory. Therefore, Non-GMO product, definitely, because GMOs are the only things that would have the application of glyphosate or are supposed to at least. Then if you really want to go a step further, do get the grass-fed collagen, uh, pasture-raised, if you will. And um, you had mentioned to me, Aaron, that there's something called 100%. We were talking before the broadcast. Yes, Bare Bones yeah. has a 100% grass-fed collagen. I think that's the only one of its kind. I think it probably doesn't make a lot of difference and I could be wrong. I, and I'm not saying I'm, I know for sure, but as long as the animals never had GMO food, 
Okay, so if it's an organic-based or non-GMO grass-fed, it, I don't know if it matters if it's 100%. A lot of the beneficial things that happen to an animal's um, meat when it's 100% pasture have to do with the fatty acids in it and some other things that would not be in collagen because collagen is just that protein. However, I could be wrong. Well, that's good to know. And we are seeing a lot of ones on the market specifically that are labeled as either grass-fed or pasture-raised. So they are fed mostly a diet of grass, which they're meant to eat, and meaning also that they've spent their time on the pastures versus the collagen coming from bones from factory-farmed animals. I just want to add one more thing. There is a possibility when we think of, you know, you think of, um, when you think of bone meal, I don't know if you ever considered bone meal from pasture-raised animals, but there is lead, for example, in pasture-raised bone meal, although it's below anything that the FDA would consider a concern, right? I'm just saying that even if an, an animal product comes from a pasture-raised animal, we can't escape the pollutants in this world. So I, I don't want you to think that you're not going to get any contaminants. I mean, people are not that, probably not, not that uneducated on your show, but a lot of people think organic means there's nothing in it. It's kind of hard in this day and age to isolate any, any animal or vegetable, you know, that's growing from everything. Just do the best you can. And also understand if you're well-nourished, this is really important. There's so many things that help us detoxify that are in animal foods and including vitamin A. So we have to think about that too, because our bodies are amazing. We can really do really great things, but we have to have the necessary nutrients to do them. Lots of reasons that you've heard here on how to get collagen, why you should have more collagen in your diet. So we're just about out of time, but before we go, tell the listeners where they can find the website for your nutritional practice and where they can go and order your book and any other websites you'd like to know the listeners to go to to find out more information about what you do. Okay, well, my website is Women and Family Nutrition, so that's women plural, and familynutrition.com. And um, I used to have a separate website for my book, but I've discontinued it. I didn't get that many inquiries, but I'm very happy to answer any inquiries about my book. Most, and there are some additional um, references on my website, as well as a couple other things, and one specifically about eggshell collagen, a study that was done on eggshell collagen that I added to the website, because there's been even more published since my book was published. Um, and as far as other websites, I really like people to go to the westonaprice.org website. It's just an amazing, amazing clearinghouse with all sorts of really useful information. And our, uh, the podcast that we do is fantastic. There's going to be something for everybody on that website, no matter the, where they're at. And I particularly, if you're really science-minded, I always love to read the things by Dr. Chris Masterton. Oh, he's amazing. Yes. Yeah, he's been on the show a few times, and he's always been great. Lots of information. Lots of good things people can learn about cholesterol and fat-soluble vitamins. He's kind of my guru and, and a bit of my friend. I've known him for 20 years and first one of the earliest Weston Price Conference. He's just always blown me away with his insights. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you here, and I hope the listeners have taken away uh, a lot about collagen, if not already. I know I've learned more because I've been following the collagen for a few years now, and then with reading your book and having you here on the program, I think I've gotten in even more information to know about it. Yeah, you know what I would recommend? If anybody has a person that they think could benefit from collagen, and they're a bit of a skeptic, I, I would, you know, I would recommend that they purchase my book, especially if they want a gentle way of easing them into these ideas. Yes, I think so. It can really give them a little bit of a stepping stone to the bigger ideas we're talking about like on your show and other, other places. Yes, I think so too. I think it is really a book of everything you wanted to know about collagen. Yes, and then some resources on where you can learn more about things that are related to collagen, like did you know that you needed zinc and vitamin A, you know, to make your collagen, things like that. People didn't, don't really know the ins and outs. And truthfully, if you just follow a really good nutritional, nourishing, traditional diet, you don't really have to know all these details. But there's so many people that are very skeptical because there's so many contrary opinions now. And I think that to make a decision, you need all the information you can get that's, you know, that's something that you can actually understand, which I think my book hopefully is one of those things that people can really understand. Oh, I would certainly say that it is. Yes, I think it'll give people a lot of information and a lot of ways where people can transform their diet and eat better. Okay, great. Pleasure to have you here. Yeah, and happy new year and happy holidays to everyone. Yeah, this is our last show before the holiday season. So happy holidays to everyone and see you back in the new year, which I hope it's even happier and healthier for everyone. 
Yeah, even healthier. That's good. And happier, too. All right. Well, great, Aaron. Have a wonderful day. That's all for this episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. You can visit my blog to read my articles on the best real food products out there, plus recipes from podcast guests and past episodes of my podcast at appropriateomnivore.com. To make sure you never miss an episode, you can subscribe to The Appropriate Omnivore on iTunes or Stitcher. I'll be back next month, not only in a new year, but a new decade. See all of you in 2020.